ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Revelation. Appreciate so much Brother Kurt and Brother Harlan filling in for us on Sunday. Um, I fell ill, I guess it would have been Friday night, going into Saturday, and uh, wasn't feeling good at all, didn't know what I had or where it came from. But uh, I'm thankful that yesterday, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, things took a hard turn for the better. And I was so grateful. It was no doubt an answer to prayer. Um, I know how bad I felt when I woke up yesterday morning. And I never dreamed that by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I would not only feel a little better, but would feel completely better. I, I just still can't quite get over it. The fact that, that it went away so quickly, and I'm just so thankful, uh, very, very thankful today for that. It was very weird on Sunday for my wife to come to church and me to stay home. Uh, it, was, it was a strange sensation. Uh, it was also strange for our boys, Silas, as he was walking out. I had forgotten about this conversation until we were on our way here tonight. Silas, on while they were walking out, I, of course, I was sitting on the uh, in my reclining chair with a, a really bad headache and some shivers, and and uh, the two younger ones were staying with me, and the three older ones, of course, came with her, and they were getting ready to walk out the door, and Silas looked over at me. He said, "Daddy," he said, "How is mommy going to preach?" <laughs> and I had forgotten that I I told him this, and then didn't follow it up with a "I'm just kidding." I said. Well, she's going to preach just like Daddy preaches. And I left it, and I totally forgotten. Well, I was telling Emily on the way here, and she said, I knew somebody had to have said something to him because he's, she said up until we drove into the parking lot, as we were pulling in, she told the boys, she said, we're walking in 20 minutes late, so I need you boys to be quiet and be on your best behavior. And Silas goes, Mommy, aren't you supposed to be preaching? You can't preach when you're 20 minutes late. And, of course, then she figured out what had happened. and So we, I was getting a kick out of that as I was walking in tonight, thinking about poor Silas convinced that Mommy was doing the preaching on Sunday. But uh, just really appreciate uh, Brother Kurt filling in for Sunday school and then Brother Harlan filling in for the worship service. Um, you know, I've had a thought on my heart with everything that's been going on in our world. You know, you want to have an answer for everything, but some things are just so ludicrous, there's no answer for them. Uh, but the one thing that has been on my heart, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it tonight, because I have a feeling that on Sunday, we're going to be going there, uh, is the verse that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think that's probably where we'll be going on Sunday. But I read something this week that really spoke to my heart, and I, I've tweaked it a little bit to make it my own. And that is the fact that there is, to my knowledge, very few, if any, greater attributes that make a Christian Christ-like than the ability to love someone with whom you strongly disagree. Sit on that for a little while and think about that. You know, even in amongst our own church, we're going to have disagreements about different things. We're going to have differences of perspectives on different things. There are going to be things that uh, you think that I don't think and things that I think that you don't think. Um, outside of, of biblical principles and uh, doctrine of the Word of God, there are going to be those differences. 
The thing that I love is the fact that we can maintain our love in spite of our differences. Then you go outside of those boundaries and you start getting into some fundamental differences. You start getting into some things that, that are differences that cannot be reconciled. There's no reconciling some of the differences that we have. Nevertheless, it's amazing to me that God has called us, and I, I think back to what Brother Harlan preached on Sunday, and I, did get a chance, I didn't get a chance to listen to Brother Kurt's Sunday school lesson. We didn't get it recorded, but uh, I did get a chance to listen to Brother Harlan's uh, sermon. And if I remember the title right, I think the title was, Somebody Don't Like You, But God Wants to Love Them Through You, I think was the title. And I thought it was perfectly stated. I, I don't think that uh, it could have been preached any better than that. And um, I think of the fact that God wants to love those folks through us in spite of our differences. And think about what Jesus did. Think about how he loved while he was here on the earth. He knew that the entire nation of Israel was going to hang him on a cross and crucify him. And yet he did what he did for the nation of Israel. He did it because he loved them. Uh, if you remember right, one of the last words that came out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, and I think about some of the people that are doing some of the things that they're doing right now in our world. And I want to have that kind of a spirit toward them. But I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard. When I see these businesses being smashed up, people that have worked their entire lives to build them up, and, and then setting them on fire, when I see them spray painting graffiti on some of these monuments of our heroes in our country, it is um, it's nauseating. And uh, I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not okay with it. I don't want you to sit there and think that because I'm saying we need to love people that I'm okay with it because that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, it's something that I find grotesque. Uh, the idea of defunding our police, I mean... Think about that. I mean, that is just, that's in a whole nother world. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around how you could get there in your thought process. Because when I see a police officer, and I'm not saying that 100% of them are wonderful people, but when I see a police officer, I, I literally want to just stop and I want to I salute them. I want to I hug them. I, that's my emotion when I see a police officer. Uh, and that's the type of emotion I'm trying to instill into my children is a deep respect and reverence and appreciation, a deep sense of gratitude. And so as I see all this unfolding, my spirit inside of me is just, oh, I'm just cringing. Uh, and if I'm not careful, I can let that go out of control into a place of very great anger. And I, I'm just telling you honestly, that's, that's how I feel about it. It makes me very angry. Nevertheless... God's called us to love them. And uh, the ultimate goal that we should have is to win in the arena of ideas against folks that disagree with us fundamentally. Uh, and that is what I'm trying to do here. When I get the, the Word of God in my hand, when I get the opportunity to teach it, when I get the opportunity to preach it, what I'm really doing is I'm trying to imagine in my mind the perspective of the person sitting in the church pew that might deeply disagree with me. And I'm trying to compete in the arena of ideas to win them over to this vantage point.
to this viewpoint. And I may not be able to do it every time, but I try really hard to think like they think and to try to put myself in their shoes so that I can minister to them better. And I think that's the kind of love that we need to have. I'm not saying agree with them. I'm not saying go along with it. But be ready to compete in the arena of ideas. And don't use your own logic. Don't use your own perspective. Try to have a biblical perspective when you're competing. And what you'll find is that as God's Word goes out, as God uses His Word to minister to people who differ from you, what you'll find is that God's Word never returns into him void. You're not just fighting in your own power when you're utilizing Scripture. When you're utilizing God's perspective, you're fighting with the Spirit of God on your side, with the authority of God's Word on your side. It's hard to lose that fight. And so that's what I try to do. I don't always do it, but I try really hard. Um, That's my disclaimer for you. If you wonder why it is sometimes that uh, I do say what I say or I don't say what I don't say or I post what I post or don't post what I don't post, there is reason behind all of it, and I'm just trying to not burn the bridges of those that I'm trying to win. And uh, there are times that I will say something, and I'm not ashamed of what I believe in. Um, I'm ready to stand for it. I'm ready to fight for it. I'm ready to compete for it. Um, when that time comes. And so, uh, and if you ever have any questions, that's another thing I want to make sure I say. If you ever have any questions about what I believe or why I believe it, if you have any questions about world events and my perspective on them, don't ever hesitate to talk to me. Uh, and I'm going to give you my honest take. And, and we may disagree on a couple little things here and there, but I think that's okay. Uh, I think we need to have varying perspectives within the body of Christ. If we all had exactly, identically the same perspective on every little thing, this wouldn't be a body. We'd all be a a foot or we'd all be a hand or we'd all be an eyeball. And we need different parts. We need different uh, segments to accomplish different works. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So keep all that in perspective. Keep all that in mind and know that I am not okay with what's going on, but I'm going to try to love them anyway in spite of what's going on. And my hope is eventually in time, if I can just win one or two of them to the perspective of God's Word, to faith in Jesus Christ, to a love uh, that God commands, boy, I tell you, that would be worth it all, wouldn't it? Revelation chapter number 3. And we're going to try to conclude our introduction. That's what my goal is tonight, is to conclude the introduction on a series that we are titling Colossians, a letter to the church of Laodicea. I'm going to explain at the end of the lesson tonight why we've titled it that. Don't want to take up too much time. You'll remember last Wednesday we looked at the connotation of Laodicea. The name Laodicea means people's rights or justice for the people. We tried to tie in what is going on in our world today Uh, to the name Laodicea and the church age of Laodicea. It's all about my rights. It's all about uh, getting justice for me. Isn't that amazing, considering what we're seeing in our world today? Uh, We saw the Christ of Laodicea. Uh, It's amazing how Christ presents himself differently to each of these churches, but to the church of Laodicea specifically, he introduces himself, look at verse 14, 
It says, And unto the angel of the church of, Laodice- of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, which means the trustworthy, the faithful and true witness, which literally means the trustworthy witness, the beginning of the creation of God, which is the founder or the... Uh, it doesn't mean that he's the first one created. It means he was the one doing the creating work. Amazing to me that to the final church age, he presents himself as the truth, as the trustworthy one, as the one who did all the creating. Considering the fact that in our generation and in the last two or three generations, the predominant truth that has been placed into question is the creation. In every sense of the word, creation is under assault. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. And so what do they got to do? They got to go all the way back to the very beginning and say, okay, no, no, no. It didn't happen that way. It happened in an entirely different way. Christ presents himself this way to the church age of Laodicea intentionally because he knew that in our day, lies, deception, uh, questions about how this all came into existence was going to be the predominant way of thinking. Uh, That's how folks were going to live their lives, was in deceit and uh, in lies. Then we looked at uh, the carelessness of Laodicea. There was no zeal, there was no passion, there was no fervor, no light, no life. Uh, it was like, it's like a dead church that is swollen, looks like it's filled with life, but really it's filled with rot. That's the idea of the church age of Laodicea, and boy, can we not see that in our churches today. All over this country, all over this world, we've got huge swollen churches that look like they are teeming with life. But in the nostrils of God, they are rotted with death. Keep that in mind. We also looked at the concern of Laodicea. Look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What they were concerned with was making sure that their bank accounts were full. They were making sure that their supply shelves were stocked. They were making sure that their own needs were met. That's what they were concerned with. But notice the character of Laodicea. Christ goes on to describe what he sees when he looks at this church age. In their own eyes, they're rich, they're increased with goods, they have need of nothing. But in God's eyes, they don't even know that they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And we looked at the fact that they were oblivious, they were wretched in God's eyes, miserable in their own hearts, poor, Uh, As far as eternal riches were concerned, they were blind to the truth and naked to Christ's righteousness. Now, with that said, we'll move on to some new information tonight. Let's look at the counsel of Laodicea in verse number 18. The Bible says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless as we open your word tonight. Use it to accomplish what you desire. Lord, I thank you for how clear and relevant your word is in our world today. Help us, Lord, to compete well for the truth. It's literally what it means to earnestly contend for the faith. It means to to compete and to fight with everything we've got for the truth of your word. What we see going on in our world, it breaks our hearts, it saddens us, and frankly, 
it angers us. Lord, I pray that that fervor, that fire within us, would be concentrated through your word, siphoned through your love, and that out would flow from us a speaking of the truth in love that could not be stopped or quenched. And Lord, we'll praise you for what you do in our lives in these days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here in Christ's counsel to Laodicea is we see him counseling them to do three specific things. The same three things that I believe we need to do today. What does he tell them to do? I counsel thee, number one, to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You'll remember there's a verse in your Bible, a portion of Scripture in your Bible, that says that in the end of the age, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and He's going to try our works, whether they be made of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And based upon what He tries our works to be, based on what He sees, what He determines the value of our works are, will determine whether they stand up to his test or not. I knew there was going to be a way I could fit this into my illustration tonight, and here it is. My wife and my dad worked together to get me a metal detector for my birthday. Now, I have not felt like or I have not had time to use the metal detector since then. And I am ashamed to say that yesterday was the first day after I... Like I said, 3 o'clock, I just turned a corner. And so yesterday evening, the boys were, have been begging me for a week now to go out with a metal detector. So we went out. And I'm going through our backfield back there, which understand our whole lives, it's been nothing but a corner bean field. That's it. And it's in the middle of nothing. There's no, there, there was an old frontage road that used to run down through there. That's why I wanted the metal detector was because of the old frontage road. And I thought, surely, as people are driving down horse and buggy and they're, you know, plopping all over the place, something would fall out of a pocket or something. Maybe. All I had hoped to find was maybe one button that had flung off of somebody's shirt. I don't know. That's all I wanted. So I go out there with the metal detector. And sure enough, we get out there. I'm out there for five minutes and I find a horseshoe. And I thought that was pretty cool. I, that was a big deal for me. And so I, I keep going, I keep going, and I turn the corner, and then I turn another corner, and around that corner right there, I'm not going to tell you where it's at, secret, top secret stuff, <laughs> I go and turn this corner, and I find a button. And I was able to clean the button off just enough to make off the words on the back side of the button, and it said, rich gold color, not collar, it's color. You got to say that right. <laughs> Apparently there's a difference. Between a collar and a collar. Does my collar look okay tonight? All right. Anyway, that's a whole nother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I've looked it up and found, come to find out uh, the time frame on those buttons was between 1810 and 1860 is when those buttons were made. So now, of course, I'm just, I'm on cloud 100. I feel like I have struck it rich. Yeah. Well... So today, I go out. And now, remember, I went out there and I found the piece of horseshoe and I found the button. I didn't tell you about all the junk I found in between. Okay? I mean, oh. 
for every 20 holes I dug, I found one thing worth keeping. And in those 20 holes, I'd find little pieces of nail or little pieces of... And I just tossed them in the woods. That's what I did. They, they had no value to me whatsoever. And I, based on what I was seeing, based upon what I was reading on my little screen on my metal detector, no value. So I tossed them away. Well, today, I went back out to the same spot. And you'll notice that my wife and I, we don't, we don't see this the same way. Okay? <laughs> We don't, okay? I, I find a piece of horseshoe and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what family in the late 1800s was riding through here? You know, that's how I'm thinking. She's, think, she's thinking, where am I going to put a chunk of metal in my house? That's what she's thinking, okay? So anyway, I go out there again today and same thing, same scenario. I'm, I'm going through and finding all these tiny little pieces of, I don't even know what it is, worthless. I just toss it off to the side, toss it off to the side. And then... I go like this, and go ding, 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 just like that. Well, there's a different sound it makes. If it goes, that means don't, don't try. If it goes, ding, it means nah, it might work out. If it goes, ding, you found something. It went, ding, like that. So I go to dig it up, and sure enough, it was a one cent coin. From 1850. Uh, you didn't I didn't. I didn't think I was going to use the illustration tonight. I thought I was going to at least save it till Sunday. I'll bring it Sunday. I'm sure I can fit it into that ser- sermon as well. But uh, when I pulled that out of the ground, now granted, it's only worth. I think it was worth twenty six dollars when I looked it up online. So it's not like it's worth a lot of money. But to me personally, it was worth a lot because I found a coin on my second day using a metal detector. I never dreamed I would do that. It, it, I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the coolest things you ever bought. Oh, it's, it's awesome. And it, it's a good, good time, you know, go out there and walk and whatnot. Now everybody's going to be buying a... Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I say all that to say I was siphoning through. And based on what I knew about the material that I was pulling up out of the dirt, a lot of it, most of it, I just tossed over into the woods. It had no value whatsoever. But then I did find things that did have a great deal of value. You know, when we stand before Christ, that's a lot the way it's going to be. He's going to look over the course of our lives, and there are going to be things that at the time, based on what we thought, what we knew, we thought there was a great deal of value to it. But see, Jesus can see a little deeper into our lives than what what oftentimes we care to know. He can see so deep into our lives that He can determine, based upon what He's looking at, whether what we've accomplished for Him is of any value or not. Based on what, you may ask? Based on our motivation. Why did we do it? Did we do it because we love Jesus and because we want to bring Him honor and glory? Or did we do it because we wanted the honor and glory? Based on what our end goal was based upon the sin in our life at the time that we were trying to do the right thing when in reality in the deep recesses of our hearts we knew there were other things going on that Christ wasn't pleased with I don't know what he will cast aside as being of no value and what he will retain as being very valuable in our service to him but that day will come 
And he's reminding Laodicea here that that day will come. And for that reason, he's saying, listen, don't worry about your bank account. Not right now. What you need to be worrying about is laying up treasure in heaven. Where moth cannot and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Lay up treasure there in heaven. Number two, he's reminding them, make sure you're robed in my righteousness. Notice what he says there in verse 18. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. He's reminding them, hey, you may think that you're robed in my righteousness, but you're actually naked in my eyes. You've never been truly born again. And that is something good for each and every person who claims to be a Christian ought to spend some time in their heart and in their life confirming that reality. I am thoroughly convinced that there are countless thousands of folks that because they did this or because they said that, because they went there, because they felt that, that they think somehow they're going to get in. But when you put their faith to the test to determine whether it was real, sincere faith resting in Christ, it doesn't hold water. Number three, open your eyes. His counsel to Laodicea, Lay up treasures in heaven. Robe yourself in my righteousness and open up your eyes. What does he say there? <clears throat> that the shame of thy nakedness may do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Open your eyes. See what's going on. Don't be ignorant of the times and the seasons. Because remember, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. And especially to this church age, that needed to be a reminder given to them. And so Jesus gives them that counsel. And then we see the chastening of Laodicea. The chastening of Laodicea. Look at verse 19. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now there are three things I want to call your attention to tonight about the chastening of the Lord. And I want to be very brief in it. Number one... Always know that when Jesus chastens you, when Jesus rebukes you, it comes from a place of love. See what he says there? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I know my dad loved me, not because he never whooped me, but because he did. I know that my mom and dad loved me because of how much time and energy and effort they invested in making sure that I turned out okay. Still in question, but maybe. I say that to say any, uh, any parent who just leaves their child be, never corrects them, never rebukes them, never chastens them, never invests into their life what they need, that is not a loving parent. The perspective may be that I want them to love me, I want them to be friends with me, I want them to to accept me as that is all hogwash. That is deception from Satan to think that by leaving your children to themselves, they will somehow be your friend. Works the opposite. When you leave your children to themselves, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I know y'all are great disciplinarians. I'm I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. But remember, we're going to put this on the internet. Okay? And there are times I'm going to say things because I want 
all the folks that listen to these sermons to know when you leave your children to themselves, you do them no favors. But when you invest in them through rebuke, through counsel, through discipline, you are investing love into their lives. It's coming from a place of love, especially every time it comes from Jesus. Number two, the second thing I want you to know about the chastening of the Lord, not only does it come from a place of love, but it comes from God who is always righteous. There are times, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but there are times that when I get on to my children, I don't do it in the right heart. It especially happens when I'm sick. So you can imagine that a few times over the last four days, I probably was a little too hard on my kids. Just being honest. Now, I don't mean physically too hard, but I said some things I shouldn't have said in a tone I shouldn't have said them. And I know that. And they know that I know that. God never does that. When the Lord rebukes us, when He chastens us, He always does it with the right measure. Never too much, never too little. I'm thankful for that. And then number three, the chastening of the Lord, it's for your benefit. Think about that. When the Lord chastens you, and you know what it feels like. If you're a child of God, I pray you've been through it. If you've never experienced the chastening camp of the Lord, and you have sinned since you got saved, something is wrong. If you've experienced the chastening camp of the Lord, you know it. Know that it's always for your benefit. Think about that. It's because God has a vested interest in your life. He wants what's best for you. And so he's going to come along when things aren't right, when things aren't measuring up to what his expectations are. He's going to come along and he's going to correct it. Not because he is a mean-spirited Lord over us, but because he knows what the best life looks like. And that's, that is his goal, that is his aim. His aim, his goal, his heart's desire is for you to live your best life that you can possibly live. And so he's going to come along and he's going to get things corrected as need be. His chastening is always out of love. His chastening is from him, which means it's always right. And his chastening is for your benefit. It's for your life. Lastly, we see the closeness of Laodicea. I find it interesting. Look at verse number 20. We're going to see a, a quick adjustment here in the location of Laodicea. In verse number 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So at the beginning of verse number 20, Jesus isn't even inside the church. You notice that? Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking on the door and nobody can even hear him. Probably got the music up a little too loud. And so there, he's out there knocking, out there knocking, and inside everybody thinks everything's just fine. They're rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. But Jesus is on the outside knocking on the door trying to get in. But look at the contrast between the beginning of verse 20 and the end of verse 21. To him that overcometh, listen to this, will I grant 
to sit with me in my throne. No greater reward is offered in your entire Bible than this. All the riches, the biggest mansion, all the crowns. You could stack it all up in the biggest pile and it does not hold a candle to what Jesus offers to our generation. The final church age. He tells us in this final church age, if you overcome, I'm going to let you sit with me in my throne. I don't long for that for glory. I don't long for that for the accolades. I don't long for that so the folks can see me sitting up there. I long for that because I want to be that close to him. I know what it feels to be far away from Jesus, and I know what it feels like to be close. I want to be there. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What a contrast. From Jesus not even inside the church to now sitting in his throne. What is the key to that transition? It's found in verse 20. It says, if any man hear my voice. Number one, and I I quickly referred to these at the end of last week's lesson. But number one, stop tuning him out. Stop clogging up your ears with all the things this world is clamoring about. And just hear him. Number two, if any man hear my voice and Open the door. Number two, stop shutting him out. Stop putting up all these fences and all these walls because there are just some areas of my Christian life that I don't want God to get entangled with. There are just some areas that I just want to keep to myself. Stop shutting him out. And number three, look what he says there. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Stop casting him out. Just being honest with you. There are seasons of my life that my Christian life is like this. And I don't believe that's the will of God. I do not believe it's the will of God. You cannot show me in scripture that this is what God wants for our Christian lives. I think what God wants for our Christians, Christian lives is this. And can I tell you what causes this effect in my Christian life, the up and down, the roller coaster effect? What causes that in my Christian life is that I get to a place where I just cast Jesus aside for a little bit so I can keep living the way I want to live. And then I tank and I get way down here in the valley and then all of a sudden I look around and I realize, oh, I left Jesus back on a mountaintop. And so I pick Jesus back up and I start reading my Bible again. I start going to church again. I start doing what I'm supposed to do again. And then I get back up there. Things going good. But then I get tired, overwhelmed, whatever the reason may be. And I cast Jesus off again. Stop casting him out. 
And what God promises, if we'll stop tuning Him out, if we'll stop shutting Him out, if we'll stop casting Him out, He promises, I'm going to go from outside the walls of your house to allowing you to sit with me in my throne. Because this generation, this final church age, is going to have the hardest time maintaining a personal walk with the Lord. It's why we preach it, why we teach it nearly every single week. Now, Say, preacher, why in the world are you spending all this time talking about Laodicea when you're wanting to preach out of the book of Colossians? Well, we'll close with this thought. I happen to believe that the truth of the book of Colossians is distinctly tailored to meet the practical needs of God's people in this final church age. I'm going to prove it to you. You ready? Turn with me to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. And I'm going to show you a couple passages of Scripture. I think I've shown them to you before. But this is going to serve as the primary introduction in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. The Bible says there, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So much to unpack there. I can hardly wait to do it. But all I'm trying to get at here is he's, he's combining the two. He's saying, I have a heart for Colossae and Laodicea. Now, if that wasn't enough to convince you, look at Colossians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 12. This puts all questions aside as to whether this book was intended for the church of Laodicea. Don't get me wrong. It was in fact intended for the church at Colossae. But you better believe that God also intended this book for the Laodicean church. Here it is. Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What a, what a beautiful prayer. Verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. Now listen to this, verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of Laodiceans. And he likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. What he's literally saying is, he's saying everything that I've just written to you, Colossi, as soon as you've read it, I need you to forward this message to the church of Laodicea. Make sure that it's read inside the church of Laodicea. And then make sure that it gets read outside the walls of Laodicea. And as we study the book of Colossians, I believe with all my heart what we're going to see is we're going to see some of the most practical truths we've ever seen. Why? Because I believe this book is tailored for practical truths that we desperately need in this exact time and place. I can't wait to break it apart to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you might use it for your honor and glory, Lord. I pray that uh, as we 
move into this book of Colossians, that you will help us to see it through the eyes that you intended at this time for this group of, uh, for this body of believers, for this day and age. Lord, help us to teach it with passion, with love. And Lord, I pray that you will use it to impact our lives and to prepare us for what little time we have left before your return. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.